Good evening. Tonight you're going to see the ITV drama premiere. The program starts in just a few moments. So if you hurry, you've just got time to finish that phone call, put the dishes away, say goodnight to the toddlers, close the upstairs window, push the cat aside, and settle down on the sofa. If the tea isn't brewed yet, bring the teapot in with you. You can finish that crossword later, because it's time for tonight's ITV drama premiere in association with Midland Bank. Hello. Hello, everyone. I'm Anne. And I'm Nick. And welcome to a very special episode of Anton Nick Press Play. Because we're not, I repeat, not talking about Crime Traveller. No. Don't worry, CT fans. We'll be back on track with that soon. We're taking a divergence here. Where, where are we going? We're going to be looking at the mystery of the vanishing TV programme entitled The Vanishing Man. And I know what you're all thinking. What is it? Wednesday, scientific research or revolutionary experiment? Cameron has to disappear permanently. I fade in, I fade out, it just happens. Invisible! This has got to be a joke, right? It was like you just disappeared in the thin air. <laughs> Tell me about it. Neil Morrissey stars in the action-packed comedy thriller The Vanishing Man, Wednesday at 8 on Granada. The Vanishing Man is a modern, quote-unquote, 1997, twist on the Invisible Man story, starring Neil Morrissey. I'm genuinely convinced you may have made it up. Yeah, I sort of think that sometimes as well. So, we're going to go back again to 1997. This was broadcast between Crown Traveller episodes five and six. So between Sins of the Father and Death Minister, Mm. this show appeared on ITV. Also written by Anthony Horowitz. And there is the link. I mean, the thing is, he kept himself busy, didn't he? Good year for him, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's still going now. I mean, he's just had Alex Ryder released on the wonderful Amazon Prime. I've not had a chance to watch it. I am going to get to that. I don't know whether he wrote any of that. Obviously, it's based on his young adult fiction novels. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely based on his idea. Yeah, but I'll see. I haven't actually looked into it. I'll have to see whether he uh, actually wrote any of it or whether it's just exec producing, created by, that kind of thing. Yeah, I would imagine so, unless because otherwise it would need to be set in Britain and in mansions (laughs) and have Jeff Slade in it. (laughs) Um, So, The Vanishing Man. Yeah. You don't remember it at all, Ant? No, don't remember what seen an advert, nothing like yeah. that. And, and like I said, the cast in it, I mean, obviously, Neil Morrissey, spoilers, yeah. but Neil Morrissey plays the... Uh, the <laughs> That's not really a spoiler, the, like it. <laughs> it's advertised on the strength of his name, really. Yeah, plays the main character in it. The titular Vanishing Man. Um, and I, I really like Neil Morrissey. Yeah, he was great. He had a good year in 97 as well, I think. Yeah, in the late was. 90s, he was uh, fairly ubiquitous in things, wasn't he? Exactly, you know, he's... Star of the nineties is, is Neil Morrissey, so I'm surprised that I didn't bother myself to to seek it out and, and watch it. No, well, I remember it being quite a big deal at the time. Um, 
Yeah, no, it, a lot was made of it because it's special effects heavy ish. Uh, it's like it's an ITV drama premiere, like they used to have. So proper, get all the family together and sit down. Although I don't know, I think it's actually a bit more adult than Crime Traveler. But um, it was like the flagship program of that of that weekend. Even well, when I've been looking at you know magazine articles about Crime Traveler from back in the day, usually Vanishing Man is mentioned at the same time as that as something that's happening, that's exciting, that's this is how they did yeah. it kind of thing. So it's very strange. So that. What we're talking about is the pilot episode today, which was broadcast on the 2nd of April, 1997. A year later, it was made into a series of six episodes. Disappointing. Mm. And that's a shame. I was looking forward to it for a long time. Anthony Horowitz was no longer writing it. And it actually, that was probably, in terms of style, that was probably a lot closer to Crime Traveler, in a way. And actually yeah. features a couple of the same actors, but it's, um, I, won't, I won't spoil that now. And I would have loved to have gone through them and picked them apart, but I cannot get hold of them whatsoever. The closest I've got... So let me tell you about this. So I recorded the pilot off the telly when it was on. That was never released on DVD or VHS. Still hasn't been. Mm. The series was released on VHS, and I remember that. I managed to get one of them from a guy on Amazon, the first two episodes of that series, which I don't even want anyway. But the... The rest of it, you can't find. It's not ripped. It's not on eBay. The thing is, someone will have it. Someone must have it somewhere in the world. It'll be at a car boot somewhere after this lockdown's over. And we'll be able to pick it up for 50p. And we'll go, there we are. We can watch it. (laughs) Well, let me just tell you something quickly. Because sometimes I think even on something like Twitter, people sometimes mention it or know where things are uploaded and things or people are talking about it. Very little about it has ever been said. But somebody did ask Anthony Horowitz about The Vanishing Man and where they could get hold of it. Mm-hmm. This is his reply. <laughs> so this is um, Tony Williams, Big Toe 1978, has said. This was um, December 2019, last year. Dear sir, I am trying to get in contact with whoever put your TV show The Vanishing Man into production so I can get a copy. I've spent three years searching. Yeah, try 23, mate. ITV informed me it's called Aragon Barton TV, the production company, but I cannot find anything on the internet to do with them. Now, that's a sly typo because it was ABTV that made it, Agron Barton TV. He's put Aragon, but it's Agron Barton. Anthony Horowitz has replied, Tony, I'm not sure I can help you. Neil Morrissey is in the VM. It was centuries ago and I can't remember who made it. I don't even have a copy myself. <laughs> Which is funny. (laughs) Tony Williams has replied, Okay. ITV said Aragon Barton Television were the production company. I've never heard of them and I can't find any info on them either. Yes, Neil Morrissey was in the VM. 1997, so only 22 years and not centuries ago. (laughs) Crying laughing face. Anthony Horowitz has replied, Never heard of Aragon Barton. (laughs) That's weird. Oh well. If I have any luck, I will let you know. I thought it was great and had it on old VHS, but moved house three times then and cannot find them anywhere. Thanks. And that is the end of the conversation. So, I mean, this is how deep it's going. The guy that wrote it hasn't even got it. I mean, something's going on there, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, somebody doesn't want that scene. No. To get this, so what what we're watching this time is a DVD rip of somebody's VHS recording of the original broadcast. And I had to go on the dark web, basically, to get it. 
<laughs> That's how deep this was. One person, and then that link is gone. So, you know, and that was just the pilot, and I paid a tenner for it, so I'm properly on the black market dark web now. Oh, vanishing money. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so, yeah, the, the quality of this broadcast isn't brilliant because it's a, a rip of a VHS. No, and it kept going out of sync with itself when I tried to stream it to my TV. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of problems. So the clips that we use will also be quite bad quality. So excuse me. So with that caveat, I mean, I said we were talking about this to my girlfriend and she said it was a waste of time because nobody can watch along. <laughs> but for people who can't get a copy of it, this is the closest you're going to get to experiencing it, basically. Yeah, exactly right. And who knows, maybe one day they'll release it all on DVD. Yeah. And I know we're not unique in crime traveller podcasts, but I'm pretty sure nobody has done a podcast about this. So this is probably a world first. This is a world exclusive yeah. and if this disappears from the internet then we will know there's a conspiracy we're going to get contacted by someone what do you know neil <laughs> it's strange not talking about crime traveler it is get jeff and holly and all those escapades out of my mind it's all i dream about to be honest yeah but it's been nice to be dreaming about something different yeah so here we go I've obviously watched this on and off since it was on, and I've never spoke to anyone about it before. (laughs) So this is very exciting for me. Let's start with the very beginning, the opening credits and theme tune. Oh, it's greatly weird, isn't it, this this theme tune? We'll start off by playing it in then, shall we? Yeah, let's play it in. Go ahead. Here goes. Put the needle on the record. Dab, 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 dab. Why? bit bad quality but that's the best i could uh, get but very funky in it yeah it's great i loved it when i was a kid i used to hum it i'd learn how to play it i think it's so strange i think it's very interesting melody and chords i think it works better at setting up a mood than crime travelers one did yeah this intro music these intro credits so uh, title sequence brilliant real Doctor Who vibes. Um, the, yeah, the visuals are like a ghostly image of uh, the cross-section of a human. It was on Tomorrow's World around about the same time. Um, they basically created a cross-section of a human by... I think it was frozen in a block of ice and then cut through millimetre by millimetre and filmed, animated. And they were like, yeah, this is great. This is a, a view of the body we've never seen before. And then about... You know, three years later, that was on telly, and I thought, that's that thing on them. That's the latest thing that they've jumped on, because it looks strange. Going from toe to head, it's very effective. Really eerie, and, and, and not knowing anything about what you're about to watch. I mean, it, it really does set up everything. Yeah, so we go straight into it uh, with The Invisible Man basically. And it's a it's a really weird camera yeah. angle. It's a POV of an invisible man, basically. Isn't it? Yes. 
Because so are we meant to believe that this person's invisible? Yeah, we come into it as if we're into the story. We're seeing the invisible man getting dressed. So we've got toothbrushes falling into the sink. We've got th- you know clothes being pulled off, coat hangers, doors opening on their own. Mm-hmm. But it isn't when we see <laughs> Neil Morrissey peeks out. Ooh, hello. Nick? Where are you disappearing to? Oh, um, I've got to go. I'm late for work. Uh, so, then I'll see you later on then, eh, Jane? He's making an escape. Oh. I like this because we find out a lot about him in the first three minutes. Yeah, we find out more than we ever found out about Jeff Slade here. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> We've already found out that Neil Morrissey is a bit of a Jack the Lad, yeah. a bit of a player. He's got a lady in his flat who he's presumably slept with, and he's leaving her, yeah. making a dash for it. Yeah, and then calls her by the wrong name. <laughs> See you later, Jane. Yeah, so he doesn't <laughs> care about her. And he's also a bit messy and a bit scruffy, and, and you can tell he doesn't yeah. particularly care that no. much about his appearance. He's playing very much to type, because this is, of course, the height of his Men Behaving Badly fame. Mm-hmm. So he is charming, clueless. He's Tony, isn't he? Yeah, to- yeah, basically Tony. Um, obviously, you know, popular with the ladies, which Tony always was, out of the two of them. Yeah. And just putting his foot in it, basically. This is when he had his his slightly longer hair, off-the-shoulder length, you know. Which I think suits him even now, even though it's a very 90s style. He he suits that really well. Um, Oh, the incidental music's very interesting here as well, just briefly. There's various uh, bits of music which are repeated throughout various different tones. This one is a double bass harmonica kind of nice jazzy bit. There's a real eclectic mix of music mm. throughout this whole thing. Yeah, which I didn't realise really until until I analysed it to the nth degree. There's some very um, nicely done music and there's a slight bits of cheaper sounding music. Yeah, I don't really know what they were thinking. Mm. It's like they just picked some stuff out of a box. The a um, We should say the composer for this is a guy called Alexandra Defaria or Alexandra Defaria. Maybe. Mm. Who, I don't really know what else he's done. I think he's Brazilian, it says, though. Yeah, great. So, then he gets a parking ticket. Or he takes his parking ticket off his car. Oh! He looks a bit groggy slash hungover. Yeah. So, we're building up this kind of Jack the Lad kind of layabout, play it by ear kind of guy, which is nice. Yeah, he doesn't care, does he? Yeah, and then he's late for work, but we'll uh, get to that in a second. So, um, Kate, Jane, Jane Kate is, uh, <laughs> Kate is making a, already her farewell scene of the episode. Lipstick on the mirror. Yeah, saying I'm busy. So yeah. And then calls him a pig. Says it very strange. Pig. His personality though, this kind of lackadaisical approach to life is ultimately his downfall in a minute. Yeah. So it fits in very well. It's one of the reasons that events unfold the way they do. Yeah, so he's on his way. He drives to an airfield for little private planes. Um, and we meet Joe. Yes. You're late. What's the matter with you? I overslept. With anyone I know, or should I say with anyone you know? Leave it out, Nick, Joe. this is a new client, and God knows we need one. Our first job, and you were meant to be there at 10.30. Where's the... Skip all east. Easy. 
some bad weather coming up. Well, just as long as it doesn't interfere with the golf, eh? Just call me when you're on your way back, okay? Yeah. Do you know, I never really realised at the time, Neil Morrissey's called Nick. And this guy, Mark uh, Womack, is called Joe. So it's Nick and Joe, Nick and Joe. Mm-hmm. My best friend's called Joe. Sorry, and one of my best friends. <laughs> it's all right, don't worry about it. One of my best friends is called Joe. <laughs> and um, known him for years. <laughs> oh dear, that's the end of this podcast. <laughs> Last one. Yeah, so it didn't really occur to me that there's a Joe and Nick in there as well. Mm, interesting. Uh, but yeah, we meet him. And it's interesting as well, yeah. um, because I've got a friend called Dr. Chivers, and <laughs> <laughs> who will be later on. So Nick and Joe have a company, like a courier service, mm. called Wingspan. Nick needs to fly to Skiphol to pick up a package. They need business, and they've got he's got to do it. So he's, again, he's like, it's fine, don't worry about it, I'm going to, no problem. Pretty chill about it, isn't he? As long as it doesn't interfere with the golf, eh? Tap, tap, here's my golf. So he takes his golf clubs on the plane, is all, and then sets off. So it's all happening pretty quick, because he's, he's in the air already. Yeah, I was like, this is moving a bit quick. It is. Well, well there's a, five minutes into the episode. Well, this is good. There's a lot to get in. You know, crime travel, it took half an episode to get anywhere with time travel, didn't it? Yeah, very true. There's somebody watching him. A man in a car radios through to say that he's left. Scary. Mm. So I presumed at this point, um, Vanishing Man meant something different. And he, at this point, was probably just going to disappear. Oh, right. Like a Bermuda Triangle kind of thing. Yeah. um, Mm. Probably not as interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, interesting. God, I never even thought about that. He went off to play golf, never came back. Mm. No, but instead he lands in Skipol, picks up his package, has a little flirt with a receptionist. You're not the usual guy. No, uh, we've just got the business. How is it? Wingspan. We fly lower. Yeah, it means lower price. I wrote that. So, you uh, ever fancy a day out in England, then? I don't think so. France? No, thank you. Belgium? Have a nice flight. Is in Schiphol. Well, that's the major airport for Amsterdam. You're quite right. Amsterdam Airport Schiphol. Yes. Which I didn't really realise when I was younger, I have to say, because um, I'd never been. And also, it sounds a bit like Skipton or something, doesn't it? Like, it sounds like... No, it does. (laughs) Sounds like somewhere in the UK. So anyway, this flirting this flirting doesn't work, which is also... That plays to Neil Morris's strengths as well. Confidence overconfidence chancing his arm expanding on his character again the fact that he's come to a different country and the first thing he does is try and get a date with somebody he's never met before hang on before we go any further yeah i just want to tell you a few things that the internet's come me to do um, at shiphol airport okay um let's see if you did any of these things okay number one find the man in the clock at shiphol airport and say hi did you do that jeff slade <laughs> Um, the man in the clock no I don't remember that check out some of the most expensive drinks in the world at Exquisite well I don't need to go there to get expensive drinks like any bar in Amsterdam if they've singled that out as expensive then that must be cripplingly expensive (laughs) work out where your next holiday is going to be (laughs) where would I rather be than here and then finally see if you can get the airport code to match it don't forget to look up I mean, what the hell's going on? 
If anybody's been to Shiphole, find the man in the clock. Unless he's been freed finally. The thing about the airport is you want to get in and out as quick as possible. Well, not if you're Neil Morrissey. He's chatting up this lady. She's not bothered, mate. And also, you're going in about five minutes. So, Which would be good if you did have access to a plane. You're not just thinking about, right, which bar in town can I take her? Which city can yeah, I take her? take her anywhere. Yeah. Nick shows off about his uh, the tagline for his company, we fly lower. But um, it's not a clever thing if you have to explain it. I mean, it just sounds dangerous. So we're going back already. We've been to two countries already in five minutes. And we're flying back yeah. with the package. Wingspan Ops, Wingspan Ops, this is Gold, Bravo, November, Romeo X-Ray, do you read me? Got you, Nick, you airborne? Yep, on my way. Listen, did you get the package? Yeah, are you all right, Joe? Yeah, 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 no worries. What do you read today, Nick? About an hour. I'm flat Wednesday, I mentioned. Looks like it's coming up ahead. Joe's back at home looking a bit shifty, looking up at the sky, sort of like, I don't know, rubbing his hands and, you know, sweating a bit. Something's going on. Nah, he's a shifty man in general, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, there's a bit of bad weather on the way back. Bad model shot as well. <laughs> bit of Thunderbirds, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, going through massive clouds of smoke. There's lightning. Ooh. I mean, this is quite exciting, this, because it's a bit scary thinking of being in the air and things going wrong. The radio explodes. His compass is knackered. He can't see because of all the clouds and stuff. Uh, this crate's being bashed around... Yeah. Meanwhile, the Dutch police are asking the receptionist about Nick, presumably. Something's come from Moscow that is dodgy. Mm. And it is, it is dodgy. It's a glowing blue orb that shouldn't be coming into the country. Yes. The crate's bashing around a lot, to the point where you think that's knackered. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think he works for Hermes, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick doesn't seem to register the fact that this, there's a glowing orb in his plane, but never mind. Anyways, he comes into land, finally, gets back on track, comes into land, and there we go. End credits. No, of course not. <laughs> because the police turn up. It's intense, isn't it? Cops. Guns is surrounded. I mean, Nick slash Neil Morrissey can't quite work out what's going on. He seems to be dumbfounded. Another of Neil Morrissey's strengths. There's a brilliant line. This sums up his whole character. As he's being arrested at gunpoint, he's got um, a Geiger counter going up and down him and the plane is gunged with foam. He says, (laughs) There must have been a major cock up. Which is great. It's very that's very Tony, isn't it? Yeah, it is. 
Joe's shitting himself, going, ah, oh, bollocks, it's all gone wrong. And then, yeah, then we skip the trial. Yeah, don't need that. Straight to jail. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing that we don't get to see any of that. I mean, I suppose it's not the meat and bones of the show. I don't mind going straight to jail because we're getting in on the action, but they choose to tell that through, like, a porridge voiceover, basically. Yeah, which is bad. Norman Stanley Fletcher, you would... Nicholas Cameron, you have been found guilty of a crime which is perhaps the most appalling I have ever confronted. I am satisfied that the plutonium you were carrying, smuggled in from Eastern Europe, was destined for a terrorist cell. The consequences, had it reached its destination, are unimaginable, and your defense has amounted to no more than a catalogue of coincidence and contrivances matched by a rigid refusal to name your co-conspirators, who so regrettably escaped the police net. I have no hesitation in handing down the maximum sentence. You will go to prison for 25 years. I would have liked somebody with a bit more age to the voice, you know, a bit more gravitas. Yes. Never mind. The voiceover, the porridge voiceover says, it's the most appalling crime he has ever confronted i mean it's is it i don't know um so he's got 25 years in jail that is a long time uh, which means actually let's think about this he's going to be out in a couple of years yeah i'll be waiting this was 23 years ago so it's you know it's counting down the months now isn't he yeah so this is where we meet the holly turner of the show alice grant alice grant yeah, she's played by the lovely Lucy Ackhurst. Yeah. yeah. And I think I'd not seen her in anything before this, but I know she was in uh, Spaced a few years later. Yes, yeah, she was. As a really different kind of character, like she was kind of gothy, alternative comic book nerd girl. Yeah. And I always thought, is she cast well in this? I don't know. She was fine in it, you know, she was, I like her. But... Yeah, she's due to be or is in Alex Ryder, which we mentioned before. <gasps> Interesting, because I've not yeah I've not seen her in anything for a while. So yeah, interesting that isn't it? I don't think she's in it um, as a regular, but she's definitely making an appearance in it, which is be nice, you know, to see. Her. That's good. I'm going to get on it. I'm going to watch it, and then we'll maybe talk about it in a future episode. Just generally, I mean, <laughs> this is turning into just Anthony press play on Anthony Horowitz's television career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So Alice Grant is doing a presentation, a slide presentation, very old fashioned. <laughs> doing that thing they do in TV where people just stand in front of it so it's all projected onto their face. Mm, yes. <laughs> She's showing a slide presentation about pollution from... Oh, you me. Oh, is... <laughs> I mean, it's pretty boring, this slide presentation. Yeah, it is. About pollution from a chemical called harnium. But she's interrupted by her boss, Gordon, and just taken out of the office halfway through the presentation. <laughs> Somebody else takes over with the slides. This next slide. Alice... I'd like you to take a look at this. What is it, Gordon? It's a case coming to appeal, Nicholas Cameron. What, the pilot? He said all along he didn't know what he was carrying, didn't he? Yeah, the original innocent abroad. Mm. So why me? Well, Justin was handling it, but he decided to take a holiday. What about Simon? Doesn't want it. And he outranks me. Gordon, I am busy. Now you're busier. Oh, do you like what it was? 
we found out here that she's a solicitor. She's fulfilling the, the, the Holly Turner role in this to a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gordon wants her to take over Nick Cameron's case because it's coming up for appeal and nobody seems to want it. So there's a couple of people who are mentioned who never show up in this. A guy called Justin was handling it, mm-hmm. but he's gone on holiday. <laughs> and then Simon doesn't want it. So it's up to you, Alice. Doesn't matter what else you're doing. Well, Anthony Horowitz, again, does like to palm things off on his <laughs> female characters, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. At least this is a case. I mean, if it was Crime Traveller, she'd be having to do all sorts of extra stuff. Or making tea. <laughs> yeah. Or mowing the lawn. She goes to the prison to visit Nick. Just shouts her name. <laughs> she goes to a guard who I thought, <laughs> at first, is n- it's not him. But he looks a lot like the Zamo off of Grange Hill. <laughs> Just say yes, no. Um, but it's not him. <laughs> but yeah, he does a little thing. It's like, oh, a woman. A woman's in the prison. Oh, hello. Ooh, what's this? Checks her out a little bit. Ooh. Like they're never allowed out of prison. No. I mean, they're the guards. I mean, yeah. it's like they don't live in there. <laughs> so Nick and Alice meet for the first time in a room with no guards or handcuffs or anything, it seems. I didn't know. All right. If you didn't know what you were carrying, why did you try to avoid radar detection by flying 30 miles out of your way as you approached? I wasn't avoiding radar. It was the golf clubs. Golf clubs? I was carrying golf clubs on the plane. The metal sometimes interferes with the compass. Yeah, it happens. Okay, let's move on. Why did you maintain radio silence as you came over the North Sea? The radio packed in. Isn't that a coincidence? Yeah, no. There was a storm. It must have sorted out. Okay. Let's move on to the prosecution's main point. Now, by law, you're required to send your flight plans in advance to the CCU. CCU, the customs, yeah. But you didn't. I did. They never received them. That's their problem. No, Mr Cameron, it's yours. It's one of the main reasons you're here and look very likely to stay here. Yeah, this meeting doesn't go great for Nick here, does it? Mm. He's very standoffish, as he always is in any encounter that he ever has. And that's not just in this. I mean, in in, in Badly, he's the Mm -hmm. same. Arms folded, negative body language, a bit petulant. Getting really agitated really quickly. I don't know! That kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of similar to the Holly situation we had um, previously in Crime Traveller, where Holly does nothing to really help herself. Nick's doing the same thing here. Not really doing anything to help his case. No. So Nick says that it was his golf clubs that affected the compass. One, he didn't need to carry them, did he? Because <laughs> the golf he was going to play was back in the UK, so I don't know why he had them, but anyway. So yeah, I thought I've never actually checked this. So I did a bit of investigation, and it is correct. It took me a while to find out this, but basically, golf clubs are made of steel, usually. And I have a little quote here from a website about compass interference. Magnetic fields will give incorrect compass readings. Avoid taking readings near magnetic fields such as steel, iron, brackets, ferrous metals, vehicles, rebar, reinforcing steel, and clipboards. Even belt buckles, glasses, and rings can interfere with the compass reading. So it's true. Wow. Which is clever. Well done, Anthony Horowitz, for almost <laughs> almost seamlessly putting golf clubs into it. <laughs> well, I mean, 
I don't know about you, but Anthony Horowitz strikes me as the kind of person that plays golf. Yeah. <laughs> but the main evidence, which we haven't seen yet, is that the flight plans, which should have been sent in advance to the CCU, customs guys, were not sent, or at least not received. I did send them! I must have misdialed! I was distracted! Brilliant. Uh, yes, he was distracted, flirting with that receptionist. I did go back, actually, to that scene to see if he was faxing anything at the time. <laughs> he wasn't. That must have been afterwards. Well, I mean, back in the day of fax machines and things like that, quite easy to do. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know I, I mean, mean, all sorts must have gone wrong with that. At the beginning of the noughties, we were still using them in my old, old job. Awful, awful things. You know what? I do sympathise with him a little bit. But at the same time, maybe you should stop flirting. <laughs> So it's not looking good for Nick, really. Alice just says, how are you going to convince anyone else if you're not convincing me? But then she softens a little bit and just goes, look, just have a think. If there's anything else, let me know. So we already see she's not entirely dismissive of him, which is nice of her. Mm. So now we meet a very interestingly played character. (laughs) Interesting look, name, acting style. It is Forstatter. Cameron? No. I don't think I know him. Three seven one five five nine eight three. Three seven one double five nine eight three. Oh yes, the pilot, the innocent pilot. That's what he says. That which hath wings shall tell the matter. Ecclesiastes twenty. Yes, sir. Are you thinking of using him for gauges? I'm thinking of asking him, Gibson. Why him? He has no friends here, inside or out. He's alone, I guess. More to the point, he insists he's innocent. And what does the good book say? Judge not a coherence. We owe it to him to give him a chance to prove himself, Gibson. Some of these names in here I've never heard anywhere else, but uh, yes, he's called Forstatter, the governor of the prison. Foreskin. He, <laughs> 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 um... He's a very strange bearded man. Yeah, he's played by um is it Peter Eyre? Been in a lot of a lot of films within nice. Friends. Um Oh yes he was, wasn't as, he? Uh, as the registrar wow. of the wedding. The most famous line in it. Yes, indeed. Now Ross. Repeat after me. I Ross. I Ross. Take thee, Emily. Take thee, Rachel. I mean, he was in something much bigger than that as well. Really? Yeah. Hetty Wainthrop. <gasps> the big one. <laughs> so, yeah, Peter Eyre plays Forstatter. Now, this is, I think, a nice bit of writing to introduce the character. As soon as he's told the number, and it's a long number as well, 37155983, he immediately knows who it is, which I thought was a nice little detail. This guy doesn't see prisoners as people. That's nice. And also the fact that he's obviously he's got this Rolodex of numbers in his head. He can remember exactly who it is and what their crime was, just with a number. I mean, and that's impressive considering he's only just gone in there, isn't mm. it? Yeah. I used to have a boss like that. She used to call me by a number. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes. Horrible person. Um. Um, wow. Uh yeah, to hammer home that he's a bit strange. Um, he's eating a tiny yogurt with a tiny spoon, taking tiny mouthfuls. 
Yeah, weird, isn't it? That can't have been in the script. Forstatter eats a yogurt. Is it a petit falou? Is that what it is? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it's. I think it's even smaller than that. I love petit falou. A petit petit falou. If they sold that in like a pint, <laughs> I'd get it. A massive tub of it. Would be great. Well, there used to be something similar to that that I remember as a kid, which was like uh, a flying saucer type thing that oh. that had like a, a toy in the middle. My God, I and that was kind of the same. I remember that a ring of Petty Falou with a toy in the middle. <laughs> exactly right. Bloody hell! Forstatter would love that. <laughs> right? Are you thinking of Onken Frufu? <laughs> I think I might be. If you're a 90s kid, you'll remember these on Confrufus were the little UFO-shaped yogurts that came with a toy in the middle. That is the thing. Yeah, that is it. 100%. That's the one. That's yeah. amazing. I got them. I had them. And that was very satisfying to get your spoon round as well. Yeah. Why doesn't that exist? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, yogurt chat aside. Maybe that should be the next podcast. Yogcast. <laughs> this guard, we found out his name. He's called Gimson. Which is a, a strange name. I mean, because it sounds all the way through like it's Gibson. Yeah, uh, or Gimson. Gimson. <laughs> but it's not, yeah, Gim, Gimson. So, uh, yeah, Gimson asks Forstatter if he's thinking of using Nick Cameron for Gaiges, whatever that is. Gaiges? Yeah, these scenes are filmed very nice. There's a real creepy undertone of um, music as well. Very nightmarish. It's nicely lit, dark, yeah. office. And some good camera angles as well. Mm, quite low angles as well, from what I remember. Mm. So meanwhile, Alice, she's fully into the case now. I like this because mm. she's the kind of person, she's like me. And you, I think, Ant, as well. Yeah, 100%. Who just can't let things go. She's got to crack it. So she is reading the phone book <laughs> with the aim of finding out which number Nick misdialed. Every combination of the wrong numbers. Yeah. Which is madness. And it's, you know, testament to her. She wants to get it sorted, get it done, even if it annoys everyone else around her. <laughs> Gordon finds her and asks what on earth she's doing. And he's basically saying already that she's spending a bit too much time on this Cameron case. Yeah, I mean, basically he wants her to do something else, something more lucrative. I don't know about you, Nick. This does actually happen to me quite a bit in the <laughs> workplace. <laughs> Because it, it's something that sometimes I get carried away with stuff and it, somebody ends up going, yeah, don't, don't, just leave it. And you're like, I can't leave it. I honestly can't. And I don't know why. Well, she doesn't know either. She says this herself, but I don't know why he got her on it in the first place unless he wanted her to actually work at it. But I also understand his point because she is reading the phone book. Justin's back from holiday. Maybe we should just hand the case back to him. No, look, Justin already screwed it up once. He didn't bother to look. What about the Lawrence case? I just need a bit more time, Gordon. Lawrence... Is our biggest civil suit. Have you even managed to trace this chemical, the harnium, whatever it is, back to him yet? No. Then maybe you're using these newfound detective skills of yours on the wrong job. This guy is somebody who I thought I recognised, but I don't. Um, he's an actor called William Chubb, and he's got one of those faces that you think you've seen a lot, but I think there's just a few people that look a bit like him. There's a bit of a creepy shoulder touch. It's a bit slimy. Oh, he is, he is a creep. So, yeah, the Lawrence case, we hear about this. 
she needs to find a link between Edward Lawrence and this Harnium chemical, which Alice was doing the presentation about before. This highly pollutive chemical. Yeah, so Nick's been called in by Zamo to see the um, <laughs> to see the governor, and he's asked about volunteering for medical research. Yeah, does this happen in prisons much? Do they offer to test on prisoners? I don't know prisoners? either. Maybe, maybe because it's something to do, isn't it? Or something. Yeah, I mean, to... I suppose gets him out. <laughs> It'll be a week or two of research into suntans. Seems pretty harmless uh, but i mean i would be asking questions still because i mean it is yeah. being exposed to uv rays does cause skin cancer but i mean <laughs> he's kind of pressured into it in a way isn't he yeah without even knowing what it is you know but he's game for a laugh so we cut to him being driven to this big house in the countryside oh, here comes a country manor in an anti-horowitz production <laughs> Now, part of this incidental music, the stuff that's got the voices in, you know what I mean? The ba ba do boo basky ba da ba do And here, for years I thought that was Neil Morrissey doing that. Yeah, I thought so too, yeah. In the same way that it sounds like Nicholas Lindhurst is singing Only Fools and Horses, but he's not. He can sing Neil Morrissey, though, more or less. Did Bob the Builder get to number one or something? can't remember. Yeah, Christmas number one. Could you believe it? Of course it was. Oh, the good old days. Um, so yeah, the tone they're trying to get here is um, that he's out in the open, it's a nice sunny day, he's going to this nice mansion, and everything's fine, everything's brilliant. Goes well with the country lanes that they're driving down. This is where we meet Miss Jeffries, played by the wonderful Barbara Flynn, who I think's brilliant. Good morning, Mr Cameron. How is the journey? Long. I'm Miss Jeffries, Chief Administrator at the Institute. My associate, Dr. Chivers. Good morning. Morning. We're very grateful to you for volunteering. Ah, I wouldn't go as far as all that. We're ready to start straight away, if that's all right with you. Well, you've got a lovely day for it. (laughs) It'll be warmer inside. She's somebody who hasn't, as far as I know, been anywhere near Doctor Who, but probably should be, based on this. Yeah, I don't believe she has. Here, she's got a very nice, warm, charming, welcoming face. But yeah, she's also got the range to be very nasty (laughs) as well, which is good. She was in Hamlet at the Sheffield Crucible, so I stood near her in the bar, but I was too scared to say anything. It's a shame. I mean, you should have said, I really liked you in Vanishing Man. And she would have gone, what? (laughs) (laughs) Have you got a copy? (laughs) I was also sat inside the bar once and um, Ian McKellen was sat at the table outside through the glass. He was sat on the opposite side of the glass. I thought, this is weird. Oh, that is weird. Should have banged on the glass and gone, excuse me, have you got a copy of The Vanishing Man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she's great. And she's with her friend, Dr. Chinnery. No, Dr. Chivers. <laughs> My mate. They come running out. They're very welcoming to him. Now, the thing that they're doing, it's called the Gyges process. Yes. And it never occurred to me to look up what that was before. The Gyges. It never explains it on camera. So Gyges was a king of ancient Greece, or at least certainly within a myth. And the ring of Gyges was something that made the wearer invisible at will. Oh, right. So very, very good. It's like a little, clever little thing where that's not flagged up. It's just for people that know, know, and people that don't, fine. But yeah, so, spoilers. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. 
if you're a professor or you'd read the show title and you weren't thinking Bermuda Triangle. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nick is dressed like the milk tray man for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, weird. In a big black polo neck shirt. Why has he got dressed? His hair flapping in the breeze. We also see a a strange masked man looking out from one of the windows. Yeah, really weird. Um, And then they take his handcuffs off, which might be fine with them, but is that allowed? (laughs) Like, I mean, they don't know this guy. A bit worrying for everybody involved. I don't know. Anyway, so they take him off and he's fine. But it's all to add to this sort of very welcoming atmosphere. She's so excited to see him. She's telling him all about the Gaiji's process and how proud they are of it and how exciting it is. What we've done is to develop a process to boost the skin's immune system against the harmful effects of the sun. The Gaiji's process, that's what we call it. Is it safe? (laughs) Of course it's safe. What we need to know is, is it effective? That's where you come in. Don't look so worried, Mr. Cameron. We find people are much more concerned than they need to be. I mean, there's a there's a man in a mask, so... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just think if the, the guy in the mask had greeted him at the door, he'd have ran a mile. Yeah. Please <laughs> <laughs> I mean, No, I think they've picked the right person there to, <laughs> to meet and greet. <laughs> she keeps doing this thing where she, like, she's talking to him and then she'll just stop and turn and just say a bit more. And then carry on and then turn and stop and so there's like the two people behind Nick Cameron and all, everyone's got to stop <laughs> at this banister and then carry on and then stop but um, yeah very good we like Miss Jeffries she's brilliant so far she is very good in this bit so we're trotting up these stairs and then suddenly we walk into basically Holly Turner's time machine <laughs> yeah I mean it's a big lab isn't it there's a lot of scientists in this lab as well I mean, I'd be worried here if I was Nick. I'd be thinking, this isn't suntan lotion. Dr. Chivers looks through Nick's medical records and sees that he was exposed to radiation from the plutonium mm-hmm. orb. It's Chivers. What is it, Chivers? It's Cameron's medical notes. Forstad has sent them over with him. Well, is there a problem? Well, it might be. It seems he's recently been exposed to some sort of radiation. It may have affected his blood cells. Will it affect the process? It shouldn't do, but it's an unknown quantity. I'm not sure it makes him the ideal subject. Well, he's the only one we've got right now, Chivers. Who cares? Strap him in. There is a scary thought that Nick Cameron is now expendable. Yeah. And that it doesn't really matter if he just explodes because, you know, (laughs) it's fine, I'll just get somebody else. So he puts on this special suit. Which, this was the image that was in all the Radio Times and TV Quick and all that kind of thing. Photos from this of him in that suit. I always thought it looked pretty cool, that suit, actually. (laughs) All of a sudden, it's got a bit real for Nick. Because there's lots happening, lots of people there. There's lots of strange sounds and sights. Uh, He's getting cold feet about the whole thing. He tries to run away. But they grab him, don't they? And that's... Yeah. Things scary. Terrifying. And then he sort of relents, goes fine. But then they strap him in, which is scary. Have you ever had um, like a full body CT scan or MRI? Yes, yes I have. Where you're in that thing. Yeah, in there for ages, for like 40 minutes or something ridiculous. Yeah, a long time. The CT's the quicker one. The MRI's the really long one and the really noisy one. Yeah, see, this is pretty much, it's a bit like that in this machine. Yeah. The thing is, you can zone out and adjust to the sounds and kind of go into your own little world. Yeah. But you really got to be comfortable in confined spaces. Um, 
so yeah, uh, we see there's a canister that's screwed in, and there's all these lights going off, and and then we get laser beams. <laughs> Nick Cameron's been invited to a rave. This scene is really good. Yes. It really conveys fear and pain and trepidation yeah. and anxiety. Yeah, horrible. We get like another photocopier effect. <laughs> or scanner, maybe in this case. Yeah, but it is. Yeah, very similar. Going back and forth, up and down his body. Looks very painful. Mm. His body's contorting, his muscles are tightening, and it's terrible. Yeah, he does a really good contortion. And also the music behind as well, the music over this. Mm, very good. There's a, a lingering shot on some very hairy feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where all his toes are sort of flexing. Um, I always remember that. Yeah, well, Neil Morrissey's a real man, he doesn't shave his feet. <laughs> Well, yeah, he acts it very well. It's just absolutely agonising pain and yeah. not stopping him. If anything, there's a moment where it actually ramps up and it gets so bright that everyone has to put sunglasses on. And his, his screams mix in with the music and it's, it is really, it's so intense, that. Even though it's sort of 90s music. It's nice, though, synth music. I mean, it's well done, considering it's, what, 22 years old. It's a really, really strong, you know, piece of film and well shot. Well made. We cut to a board meeting with various faces, including the masked man. So he's like the head of the meeting. He's called the head, actually. Not like Art Attack. <laughs> <laughs> the head of Gaiges. The head. He's played by Roger Brearley. Roger Brearley. Roger Brearley. Yes. Why won't it work? Glass, metal, plastic, even wood. But not living tissue. Why? We can't keep him here much longer, I'm afraid. There's been an unexpected development. Cameron's case is about to go to appeal. What? Francis got some solicitor working on his behalf. Forstatter should have known that before he sent him here. I mean, what if he's released? Forstatter says that's unlikely. But if he's in a position to talk, then that could threaten everything. As far as Cameron's concerned, he spent a week here being tested for sunburn. <laughs> he doesn't know who we are or where we are. He certainly doesn't know the truth. There's a bit of a spanner in the works here. Mm. Nick's case is going to appeal. Yes. Alice has obviously found something, which is good. Yeah, they obviously didn't get Justin. No. <laughs> uh, so they can't keep him there. It's become a bit too risky now. Even though they say he doesn't know the truth. He doesn't know what this is. He thinks he's got suntans, but, you know, he still could blab. He still could mention the name. He still could say, I was taken to research suntans and they lasered my bones for about 50 minutes to the point where I couldn't walk. I mean, they're quite right. Nobody would believe it. No. They'd be like, yeah, sure, mate. I mean. (laughs) So things are a little bit worrying for them. And then the masked man, the head, just pours a load of blue CGI onto the table. (laughs) Yeah, it's awful. Really bad. Even at the time, I remember thinking this didn't look very good. Oh. Not because the effect isn't great. Basically, he's pouring liquid into something we didn't know was there, an invisible cup. But it's the fact that it's blue. (laughs) It's like... I mean, what's it meant to be? Water? It's not water. It's something hot because it steams. It's not tea. It's not a cup of tea. It's not brown. It's just something blue. So I always thought, oh, that just looks a bit... Yeah. I mean, he could have literally just drank out of an empty cup and gone, ah. 
Couldn't they? Just pretended it was water. <laughs> yeah, it would have been slightly less effective, but he could have just mimed it and then opened a door and then pulled a rope, peeled a banana. Who needs CGI? <laughs> but yeah, so he's poured this blue CGI onto the table into an invisible cup and then he just picks an invisible handle up and drinks this whatever it is. Could be Blue Wicked. Was that available then? It was. Uh, 1996, you're right. So, invisibility. Mm. This is what the game's about now. So we cut back to more tests on Nick. To, I mean, it might be the same shots even from last time, repeated. So rather than just stop after that meeting, they continue to do it. I mean, I found that incredibly bizarre. <laughs> no, I'll just keep going. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they might as well get the most out of it because he's sent back to prison. Now, I always thought this was very effective because he's put back in his cell, but he can, like, hardly walk. He's really weak, mm-hmm. isn't he? And I thought, oh, God, that's really effective, that. You know, to us, it, yeah, it just looks like a laser beam being shone down his legs. But actually, from his point of view, you think, oh, no, God, that's gone right through into his system. He looks like a broken man, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, very well done. Forstatter is getting told off by Jeffries. She's come to see him face to face. Why didn't you tell us about the appeal? I mean, he didn't know about the appeal, but... And lost in the prison system has no voice. It doesn't matter who he talks to, because no one will listen. That's how we've always worked. Yes. But a man who might be innocent, a man under investigation. Well, there's not much we can do about that, is there? Oh, I think there is. It's messy and inconvenient. But Cameron has to disappear permanently. An accident. A run-in with another inmate. You'll have to deal with it. Me? What do you think I am? We know what you are, Forstatter. That's why we employ you. Get rid of Cameron before he sees his solicitor again. Then we'll start looking for someone else. He's going to get offed. I mean, the thing is, they get their wish. I mean, this episode is never, ever seen again. So <laughs> The vanishing man needs to disappear permanently. <laughs> so we leave it on that cliffhanger. And then end of part one, because remember, this has got adverts in this. Mm. Take me to your leader. I come with pumps and fun in delicious strawberry and raspberry flavours. And I'm not alone. There are six characters to collect, one in every pack. Smile. Fruit and from our spray is out of this world. Part two. Wait, wait, wait. Before we get back, lottery results. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tonight's national lottery numbers are 5, 10, 17, 25, 40, 43, and the bonus number is 8. That's 5, 10, 17, 25, 40, 43, and the bonus number is 8. The jackpot is an estimated £3.7 million. So, part two. Yep. Gordon grabs Alice, not violently, but just (laughs) while she's working. And he tells her about an American Chemical Federation report about, um, oh, what was it? A report by the American Chemical Federation on the possible side effects of harnium nitrate. Nitrate? Yes. An organic compound of nitrogen trioxide containing an experimental isotope derived from the stuff your man was manufacturing. So basically they've got to just find a link between Harnium and Lawrence. This is Lawrence case. Mr. Lawrence. But Alice has got other things on her mind. She's gone through the phone book. 
and she's found, unbelievably, the number, the misdialed number that Nick sent the <laughs> flight plans to. Which is a great bit of detective work, to be honest. I mean, it's miraculous. The amount of time she must have spent doing that is insane. Um, it went to a laundrette in Swindon. Oh, God. And they just ignored it. <laughs> yeah, as you do. As you do, though. She was like, oh, it's lucky they've got, um, what did she say? He's lucky they've got a computerised mailing system that keeps everything on file. Which means they just chucked it. <laughs> no, forget it. <laughs> Don't matter. 25 years <laughs> in prison. Don't matter. Right away. So <laughs> she's doing well with that case, but Gordon wants her to prioritise the <laughs> Lawrence case, as he says. Prioritise. Look, you were the one who put the case on my desk. You can hardly complain when I succeed. I'm not complaining. I'm just asking you to prioritise. Yes, Lawrence can wait. Why did you give her the case then, Gordon? Why not put Justin on the Lawrence case, if you love him so much? So, we go back to the prison and the Get Cameron plan has started. So Nick goes into the shower. Get Cameron. The communal showers. Mm. Never a good place to go in prison, I've heard. No. I mean, they look all right. They're all right. They're not, like, damaged or dirty or anything. They're quite nice. Well, I imagine they have to clean them. I mean, I've watched Orange is the New Black. Mm. Um, the, the inmates have to clean them. I don't know why ah. that's how it worked in the 90s UK prisons. Ooh. I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense, actually. With toothbrushes. Yes. For punishment. Nick's got his T-shirt tucked into his jeans. Very 90s. Oh, yeah. It looks good. <laughs> I think that's making a comeback, though, on... on, on Women at the moment, isn't it? They're really into that. On women, yes. Yeah. I still don't know if it's coming back on men yet. I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't know whether I'm brave enough to triumph the Neil Morrissey look quite yet. But maybe after lockdown's over with my long hair, yeah. get some blue jeans. <laughs> You've not been tempted to do the um, the lockdown skinhead. Oh, no. I'll just have the mullet when I come out of lockdown. <laughs> the Neil Morrissey mullet. Now, I don't know if Alice planned to come and meet Nick, or if Nick's getting ready to see Alice, but Alice is waiting to see him, and Nick's just in the shower, so I don't know if she just turned up unexpectedly or not with this number. Swindon says they got the facts. <laughs> it's all right, it's been dry cleaned for you. It's all, <laughs> it's all nice and flat. <laughs> oh, man. Also, I'm not sure Nick Cameron could just go, it's all right, I'll have a shower later. I think they're like, get in the shower at this exact yeah. time, you scum. There is a bit of prisoner banter, camaraderie, a little joke. All right, I got one. Morning. Knock, knock. Who's that? Low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. Oh, never mind. So, that was a good thing to put in the script. Gimson and the boys come in, the gang, looking very threatening. Things are heating up, literally. Mm. Uh, he's terrifying as well, isn't he? He's got a very, he's got a mad eye, very small mouth and big eyes. Small mouth for Petty for Lou, remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the reception are, are stalling Alice, just like pretending they don't know who he is. <laughs> Never heard of him. So Nick's getting soaped. <laughs> Gonna drop it. Oh, yeah, he does. He does that famous thing of dropping the soap. Sorry, because his arsehole will disappear in a minute and no one will be able to find it. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. That's going. Like his arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is it now. The story's happening. Looks down to see his feet disappearing. And it's not bad, the effect. No, it's not It's not brilliant. Because I can't think of any other Invisible Man story before this that used that sort of glassy effect. No. Fairly new thing, wasn't it? With the water... Oh, no, spoilers. <laughs> With the water, it would be glassy anyway. It's not disappearing just into thin air. Dry. Yeah. Uh, but I do like that because it means you can see him after he's disappeared and you can see him as he's coming back. It's a very good little visual device. For some reason, though, at this point, I did have a bit of a hankering for some glacier mints. <laughs> <laughs> I think for the series, they developed a different software to make a slightly more glass-like appearance that had a, a few more contours on it and you know a bit more feature. Oh, the the music's nice in this bit as well. Yes, it's good. I mean, it's basically just the fret noise sound from a keyboard, isn't it? Yeah. But it's all scary. There's strings in the background. Neil Morrissey does a bit of ADR on it. Additional dialogue recording. When he's just going... Oh. <laughs> Not great, is he, at that? I mean... If you're in another room um, and listening in on that, yeah. that sounds like you're watching Neil Morrissey's sidekick. <laughs> There's a shot that they... T- this is like the Back to the Future shot. Do you know when the um, when Marty holds his hand up in front of his face and it starts disappearing? Yes. And it's just, he's completely looking in the wrong direction. Yeah. This is kind of the same here. He's looking at his hands that are like see-through glass hands. Yeah. But he kind of looks everywhere except where he's meant to actually look. <laughs> But then it is difficult. I was actually trying it myself. Of course it is. I was like looking at my hand and I, I was taking my hand away. And you can't stop your eyes refocusing. You just can't. No. You, You've got to basically cross your eyes. And that's why, you know, things have changed and they now focus on things that are there, you know, with CGI, yeah. you know, and, and, and they've worked it out now, you know, and it's a lot better. Yeah, true. Also, to be fair to Neil Morrissey and the character, he can't see his hands. Yeah. So I guess he would just be looking anywhere. Gimson's clearing the area. Piss yourself. <laughs> this poor little man who's like finished having a shave. Alright, bye then. See ya. <laughs> so they've got their truncheons out. <clears throat> the little extendable truncheons. I mean, terrifying as well that they're just gonna beat him to death as well. With just with little truncheons when he's got no clothes on and stuff, probably slip and bang his head and that. But by the time they get round the corner, he's not a CGI blob anymore. He's gone flat. <laughs> And I don't know how, really. This is the thing, because it does look good with the glassy water effect, but he would still have water on him. Yes. Forming his outline. Well, it'd be weird if, as they came round the corner, rather than seeing him completely disappear, they just saw the the outline. (laughs) Because they'd be like, oh, he's not actually invisible. He's just a glacier mint. (laughs) No, he's not. He's that. He's a CGI blob. Look. (laughs) He's that one. No, he's gone completely. I mean, I'm surprised he managed to, like, keep quiet as well. <laughs> he wasn't still going... <laughs> so it's straight back to the cells. So um, this bit, when he actually does step out of the shower, turns the shower off. And when he steps out and you do see the, the wet footprints on mm, the floor and the good. wiping away the steam, that's nice. Yeah, it's really well done. Do you know what? I still don't really know how they did those footprints. 
Unless it was like a motion control thing and the footprints were there and they were just kind of wiping them in. I, I don't know. It can't have been CGI. It's too well done for it to be CGI. It seems like it's physically done. Yeah, I think it's a very well done wipe between footprints and no footprints. Oh no, other way around, sorry. Yes. I'd ask Anthony Horowitz, but he's never heard of it. <laughs> um... <laughs> I wonder how he imagined it in his head. You know, when he was writing these scenes, how he imagined the effect would be, the invisibility effect oh, and all that kind of thing. You and I both know, completely different, yeah. because you don't get to realise what you write. And you just have to accept that. You go, okay, that's fine. You want to run around in a tutu and act like a complete idiot and skip half of what I've done. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. But don't come crying to me when it all goes wrong. Yeah, just cut out a whole scene on the performance night. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> so they're doing a cell check to some Crystal Maze-style synth music. Brilliant. Gimson sees the wet footprints going out the door. He goes, shit. Mm-hmm. So they've got to get Alice out. Bye, 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 bye. You can't see it. Bye. Miss Grant, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I beg your pardon? On your way, please, now. You can't do this. I'm here to see my clients. Oh, I'm afraid the client has caused this alarm. He's escaped. That's impossible. He has no reason to escape. Well, you can talk about that when we find him. In the meantime, you have to go. I want to see the governor. Ah, uh, he's not here. And I want to see him the moment he gets back. And I will stuck in Any harm comes to my client, and I will have an independent doctor and photographer in here before you can blink. Through here. Do you mind? What? Just keep your hands to yourself. All right. I didn't touch you. She gets touched as she's going through the security bleeper. Yeah, bit weird. <laughs> she thinks she's been goosed by Gimson. Yeah. Keep your hands to yourself. So Alice goes to a car, and we see a car door opening on its own. Confusing. Weird. Alice thinks nothing of it, just closes it. Yeah. No, she doesn't absolutely shit her pants, like a normal person would. Yeah. Anyway, she's off. There's no sign of Nick in the cells. No, he's gone. Shit. He's evaporated. The thin air. Yeah. Now, I wonder whether Gimson... Gimson knows about Gaiji's, obviously, as a company name. So I wonder if he thinks, oh, shit, he is actually invisible. Yeah, so maybe he's thought something's happened. But he, earlier, when he's going, he's gone, cell check, all that kind of thing, he seems like he has no idea what's happened. Well, he wouldn't tell his staff anyway, would he? Uh, no, he wouldn't be... He's probably hiding it from them more than anything. He's not going to go, oh, no, this is Gaiji's. Yeah, probably good at covering a little bit. Which is good. So Alice drives away. (laughs) She sticks a cassette in. Nice. Mm, Fantastic. Um, And I I never actually thought what it was. All I'd thought before was, oh, this sounds a bit boring. Very middle of the road. So, yeah, it was only making these notes that I actually thought I'd check what the song was. Because, do you know what? If somebody had said to me, oh, it's just a bit of stock music that they put together, I would have gone, oh, right, fine. But no, it's not. Shazam came into its own with this one. And it is... Let's dance. Let's by dance. Chris on it. Re- no, not the good unfortunately, one. No, it should be <laughs> by Chris Rea, a 1987 song. Other songs that are in this show have a kind of overt or tacit link to invisibility or to what's happening. But this one, no idea. I looked at the lyrics to see if it was about like turning invisible or prison or being a solicitor or something. Nope. From his well-known album Dancing with Strangers. Um... But I was very impressed with Shazam. For being able to, within within milliseconds, it had flashed up 
and already tried to sell me it. <laughs> you need to buy this. Get it to number one. Amazing. And that was from me holding it next to the laptop, playing a DVD rip of a VHS of somebody playing it on a cassette in their car. <laughs> and it's still got it. <laughs> oh, modern technology is amazing, isn't it? It has, I mean... I mean, we sound like people in their 30s, but yes, it is. <laughs> it's basically, I think that I remember in the uni days when we thought it was great that you could text bloody ask me anything, that kind of thing. Yeah. Got a text message back. Yes. I remember Twitter having a, a thing where you could update your Twitter status by a text. Amazing. WAP. The world's moved on. The world has moved on. So, she's listening to a stupid rinky-dinky song. And then, very nicely, a naked Nick slash Neil Morrissey appears. It's nice because he obviously doesn't know that he's visible again. <laughs> he's sort of like just looking like no one can see him. Brilliant. So Alice, <laughs> Alice screams <laughs> and then plows them both through a bush and straight into a tree. Mm, dangerous. And they're both killed. So end of episode. Yeah. So I, I like that. That's a bit, that's a nice, an obvious, but nice bit. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, uh, oh, actually, yeah, this is answered my question from earlier. Four Statter, we're back with him. Gimson's telling him that Nick's disappeared. Yeah, figuratively disappeared. But um, Forstatter goes, oh, uh, uh, disappeared? Oh, my God. So, yes, that answers the question. Gimson won't know what Gaijis is. So, <laughs> Nick's got to explain himself. Yeah, he just sounds mental. Well, yeah, he does, but this is classic Neil Morrissey. I like it. Yeah, it's his time to shine, isn't it? Just sounding like a crazy man. But it's classic Neil Morrissey in the sense that he's got his bum out. <laughs> I'm sure that was a thing. I know he used to get, like... Semi. He used to get semis. <laughs> uh, he used to get semi naked, like in Men Behaving Badly and stuff. He'd always have his top off or he'd be walking around with mm. like a flannel in front of him or something. Here, he's got a newspaper semi covering. <laughs> I mean, good on him. It's definitely him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As well, no body double needed. So, yeah, a nice little bit where they. You're right, he sounds like a madman trying to explain himself. Yeah, why she didn't see him, why he's got no clothes on, why he's not in prison. No, please, listen to me. Keep away from me. I'm not going to hurt you. Why are you telling me this? Because it's true. I was invisible. I was in your car in the back. You didn't see me. I did see you. That's why I crashed. No, in the corridor. Um, before, in the lockup. Um, keep your hands to yourself, all right? That's what you said. You see, I was there. It was me. No. That was me. I touched you on the arse. It was me. <laughs> I'd never noticed, really, but I had to rewind it. There's just a bit of like, music in the background. That's exactly like the Wii music. Oh, yeah. It's almost spot on, <laughs> isn't it? I can only imagine Nintendo must have been going, Oh, yeah. Do you remember Vanishing Man? Yeah. Well, just use that music for the whole menu over and over again. But won't somebody watch it and then realise we've stolen it? <laughs> Leave it with me. We'll erase it from time. <laughs> That's the only theory that makes sense so far. Hmm? 
So yeah, she's going like, you've got to go back to prison. You've got your appeal coming up and you're probably going to be all right with it. But no, he can't go back. He knows he was trying to be killed or they're going to experiment on him. Either way, it's no good. I knew it the minute they came into the showers. Nobody knows about Gaijus except me. And you think they're going to let me tell anyone else? Well, what are you saying? They wanted me dead. And now they'll know it's worked, so they'll want me back. I'm a bloody guinea pig. And what do you think they're going to do to me next? Look, Nick, this is all really far-fetched. You go and stop that car and you can forget about the appeal. I swear to God, you'll never see me again. Look, I need your help. Just for today. Then I'll be out of your life. You need some clothes. There's some sports kit in the trunk. It'll probably fit. Thank you. It works really well with his character here, and I I love it. it. It's really nice. He's charming with it as well, and that's one of his strengths. Mm. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. He's got, he's got loads of charisma, Neil Morrissey. And I think as well, there's a very strong connection with him as well. Yeah, he's very relatable. Praise to the writing as well, because this is kind of how you would react as well. Yeah, and and it's how Alice would react. You know, obviously she she's in shock and she's trying to be pragmatic in this bizarre situation. They hear a police siren in the distance and Alice almost goes to stop the police car. Yeah. But she lets it go. It's very nice of her. Yeah, I know. She's not happy about it though. Uh, we get a little knob gag. <laughs> where he, <laughs> Nick's forgotten to hold the newspaper in front of his <laughs> bits. Uh, what's he like? So they've already reached another stage of their relationship. I mean, now he's also going to be done for flashing. Um. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, Alice has got a sports kit in the trunk that'll probably fit. Yeah, a bit weird. It's never explained whose it is. It can't be hers, surely, because it does fit him. Maybe she's got an elderly son. Hmm. Maybe it'll come up in the series. (laughs) (laughs) So, end of part two. That must have been a shorter bit. Part two. Oh, definitely. Gone. Much shorter. You know what? This is going to have to be a multi-part thing as well. We're two parts into a five-part drama, so oh. <laughs> I think we'll leave it there for today. Seems to have gone on, doesn't it? Uh, it is nice. It is nice um, chatting about this particularly, and just something different anyway. So, yes, looking forward to it. I'm going to be slightly indulgent with the edit on this because I'm conscious that it might be the only recorded documentation of this of this entire programme. So, that's it for this episode then. Um, oh yeah, just to let you know, as well as emailing us, antonickpressplay at gmail.com, we're on Twitter now. Yeah. <laughs> Forget your MySpace, grandad. <laughs> we are well with it. Twitter.com. I've not been on Twitter for a while. I was on there for ages, over a decade, but it became such a horrible cesspool that uh, yeah, I came off it. Is it still only 10 characters or less? <laughs> Put it this way, we'll never get an Anthony Horowitz title in there. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody hell. So, our handle is at AntNickPressPlay. A-N-T-N-I-C, press play, all one word. Catchy, that. (laughs) I couldn't really fit anything else in, it didn't let you. (laughs) And obviously we can't press play pod or all these things are being taken. 
Annoyingly, my old personal handle has been taken now as well by somebody else. Oh, has it? Yes, it has. Does, does that happen, does it, if you delete it? Someone else comes in and takes it, parks it. It's just open to... I didn't think anyone would. I'm not going to say what it is, but some... No. I don't know, some 15-year-old girl or something just drawing cartoons on it now. (laughs) What a weird thing. So I can't go back on it, even if I wanted to. So yeah, all followers on there. And I've got to think of something to do. I might start some um, Jeff Slade memes or something. Obviously, we're on Facebook still. And you can email us, so there's literally nothing stopping you. Yeah. I'm going to tag Anthony Horowitz in this, see if he's got anything to say about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely starting a riot. (laughs) So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, we'll be back for part two and maybe even part three. Maybe part four. This is an ITV drama. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, until then, it's time for us to disappear. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Oh, hang on. I think that's Anthony Horowitz at my door. (laughs) Tell him there must have been a major cock up. <laughs> bye, bye, everyone. Wish us luck. Until next time. Bye. Oh, the dark web.